Golf is the greatest game in the world. Why were there no amens? I, thank you, thank you. Of course, I say that because golf is uh, the sport that I can play reasonably well. Um, I should correct that and say it's the only sport I can play, let alone reasonably well. But I love the game. Uh, recently, I came across a series of YouTube videos called On the Range With, and then you fill in the, the blank of the famous player, Tiger Woods, On the Range With Phil Mickelson, On the Range With Justin Thomas. And all these videos are is watching these guys on the golf range, practicing as they always do, and they just talk through uh, their practicing routine. What struck me as I watched this video is how very ordinary these professional golfers practice is. They hit the same shots that I, as a weekend golfer, hit when I'm on the practice range. Nothing fancy, just doing the same old things over and over and over again, shot after shot after shot. And what struck me is as they were talking about their practice, as they were talking about their game, no matter how many PGA wins they have under their belt, no matter how many decades they've been professional golfers, they keep hitting these same shots because they know they still have room to grow. They still can progress in the game of golf. They still have not arrived, even though they're the best players in the world. My fear is that some Christians have less of a drive to progress spiritually than the average weekend golfer has to progress in a game that, as much as I love it, at the end of the day, just consists of hitting a little white ball around. I fear that some Christians live out their faith as if they have arrived. One of the ways I think that we can detect our spiritual drive and our hunger to progress spiritually is in our prayer lives. Through the things that occupy our prayers, the things that occupy our hearts as we're praying. Have you ever noticed what you pray about most often? Do you find that your prayers often are, just consist of the daily things like uh, the needs of the day or the health needs that you are aware of or uh, saying thanks for the basic things that you have like food on the table, all very good things to pray for. But do our prayers go any deeper than that? As we look at verses 9 through 14 this morning in uh, Colossians chapter 1, we are going to see that Paul is praying. And his prayer for the Colossians shows that he has a grand vision of what a Christian should be and what a Christian should be pursuing. If you remember last week, last week we looked at all the things that he thanked God for in the Colossian church, that they had uh, a faith in Christ Jesus, that they had love for all the saints and hope laid up for heaven. And now he lays out his prayer requests, and in his prayer requests, he shows that even though these things are things that they possess and he's thankful for, there's still more for them to pursue in their spiritual walk with Christ. We can actually say that these verses, verses 9 through 14, are a depiction for us of the goal for Christian living, the goal for Christian living. What each of us as believers should be praying for and what each of us should be pursuing. 
And these prayers were so important to Paul, so foundational for the Colossians and for every Christian that if you take a look at verse 9, he says these are things that he does not cease to pray for them. They were that important. So let's take a look at what Paul thought was so important to pray for these Colossians in verses 9 through 14. Let me read for us. Paul writes, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We could reduce Paul's prayer here to a single sentence. He prays that we might know God so that we can live to please God out of thankfulness to God for saving us. Let me say that again because that's the main points of the message. We should seek to know God so that we can live to please God out of thankfulness to God for saving us. Let's unpack these verses together. Paul's first prayer request for the Colossians is in verse 9 where he says that he prays that we might know God, that we might know God. Take a look at verse 9 with me. In verse 9, his first prayer request, he says, I ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, of his will. Now, when he's talking about God's will here, he's not talking about God's secret will like what's in store for the world tomorrow or what you're going to eat for lunch five days from now, but rather his revealed will, how, how we know him through his word, the things that he delights in, the things that he does, who he is. We ought to know God is essentially what he is saying. And in a very real sense, we can say that we know the will of someone when we know them well. Uh, for instance, I, as Hannah's husband, should probably be able to answer questions like, what does Hannah enjoy eating? Or what will Hannah think about this particular topic? Or what will Hannah want to do in this particular situation? Because I know her intimately, I should be able to know her will in certain things. And in the same way, Christians are to know God intimately and understand what he delights in, what he's like, what he does, what he does not delight in. This is the whole purpose of salvation, that once we are saved and brought into God's kingdom, we are ushered into a vibrant, meaningful relationship with the living God of the universe. Christians are those who know God. I remember uh, a verse that captured my heart when I was a teenager, first seriously seeking the Lord for the first time. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 through 24, God lays out the, these words. He says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. 
Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. This should be the great boast of our lives. All the things that we can boast in in this life, nothing compares to the amazing reality of knowing and understanding God. J.I. Packer, in his amazing book that every Christian should read, entitled Knowing God, begins the book by quoting from a sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached when he was just 20 years old. And Spurgeon said these words about knowledge of God. He said, the proper study of a Christian is the Godhead, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his father. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Because of the immensity of the task of knowing God, Paul says that we require some things in order to know him. Look how he finishes verse 9. Verse 9, he says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. To know God, we need spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, Paul here, as a good Jewish man that he was, is combining two virtues that the Old Testament often combined together, the virtues of wisdom and understanding. In fact, just the, the book of Proverbs alone teaches us about these two, uh, these two uh, virtues. First of all, wisdom and understanding are something that the Lord possesses. Uh, Proverbs says in chapter 3, verse 19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. Wisdom and understanding are something that he bestows to others. In chapter 2, verse 6 of Proverbs, he says, The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And all who receive them, Proverbs teaches us, receive a blessing. For in chapter 3, verse 13, Proverbs said, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. They are gods, and they are gods to give. In fact, really, we could say in verse 9 that uh, Paul is praying that we might be like Jesus, because these are two, uh, two virtues that Jesus himself had through the Holy Spirit. As we're told in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, it was prophesied of Jesus that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. These are spiritual gifts because they come only through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, I think here Paul is actually challenging our modern notion of what spirituality really is. I think that we're tempted in our own day to think of spirituality a whole lot like New Age spirituality, where spirituality actually involves uh, uh, sort of the emptying of your mind. But the Bible teaches us that actually true spirituality fills the mind. It engages the mind. God dignifies our capacity to understand, to rationalize our intellect by feeding our minds. That 
understanding and knowledge is actually a spiritual activity. The Christian life has a serious mental aspect to it. And of course, the Colossians in their own context, if you remembered when we were talking about where they were situated in the world, uh, where there were uh, so many different philosophies being batted around, so many uh, religious viewpoints going in, they needed to think deeply about what truth is. Who is the true God as opposed to who is the false God? In fact, if you go back to verse 6 of chapter 1, how did they, what was part of them coming to faith? It said that they understood the grace of God in truth. They learned the gospel in verse 7. It's the same for us in our day. All these worldviews coming at us all the time at a million miles per hour, we must be filled with the knowledge of God to know how to follow him. That the mind and the heart are not exclusive. But as we fuel our minds with the knowledge of God, we are feeding our hearts to be able to love him and feel deeply towards him uh, with all of our affections. God wants us to know him. God wants us to learn him. How do we grow in our knowledge of God? We have to look at the book that he has given us. This is where he has revealed himself. This is how we know him through the scriptures. Now, I was struck yesterday at Caleb and Beth's wedding. It's a Dutch tradition that the father of the groom bestows upon the groom and the bride a family Bible for them to read together, to do devotions together. And so Caleb's dad bestowed a Bible upon them. And what struck me was when he said, guys, if this, if all this is to you, is just an instruction manual, then you've missed the point. And then he went on to say, this is not just an instruction manual. This is how you see Jesus. This is how you grow in your knowledge of God. This is how you meet with him and cultivate a deep understanding of him. Friends, what is your plan to be in this word daily to fuel your understanding of knowing God. There's so many great resources out there outside of the Bible. I just want to recommend a few. If you're a non-Christian here with us this morning, we're so glad that you're here and you're seeking after what is true and seeking to know who God is. A great resource for understanding Christianity is John Stott's book, Basic Christianity. I think it's the greatest resource out there uh, for those who uh, are not yet believers or if you're a new, new to the faith and you're still figuring out the fundamentals. Basic Christianity is a great place to start. If you've been walking with the Lord for some time, you want to grow in your knowledge of God, Knowing God by J.I. Packer is an excellent resource. If you want to read either of those books, I've got copies with me today. They're going to be right here, and you can race for them after the service. Uh, as long as you promise to read them, they are yours. Another great uh, resource is The Valley of Vision. How many of you are aware of, of this book Okay, wow, more than I actually thought. It's a collection of old prayers, uh, old Puritan prayers that really plumb the depths of who God is and how our hearts can respond to him. All these great resources that we might know God. Paul's first prayer request, first thing that he wants us to pursue is knowing God. Just as he did in his own life. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, that he counted everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. But Paul is going to go on to say this knowledge that we pursue is not just an end in itself. This knowledge leads to something. What does it lead to? Take a look at verse 10. In verse 10, he says, this uh, knowledge that you grow in is so that, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This knowledge of knowing God should lead us to live for God's pleasure. They say that knowledge is power. Our knowledge of God empowers us to live for him. How are we to walk? Verse 10, he says, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Knowing God changes the direction of your life, changes the way that you walk in this world. Our dear brother, Paul Kiju, who you remember visited us back, when did he visit us? Back in the fall. Uh, he's our brother from Tanzania among the unreached people group of the Rangi. And uh, it was my joy a few years ago to host him in our home. And uh, with all the cultural differences among us, we have so much in common, but there are some things that confuse him. So I remember during dinner uh, one night as he was staying at our house, I said, Kiju, I think after dinner, we're going to go for a walk. And his response was, oh, where will we walk to? And I said, oh, just around the neighborhood and, and back. And he looked at me and he said, we walk with no purpose? Friends, there are a lot of people in this world who are walking with no purpose. Christians have somewhere that they are walking. We are walking in order to be fully pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our aim in life is to walk in such a way that our life is pleasing to Jesus. And what does that look like? What does it look like to live our lives fully pleasing to Jesus? He goes on and tells us in verse 10. Take a look again at verse 10. What does this look like? It looks like bearing fruit in every good work. We do the good works that God has commanded us to do in his word. We walk in obedience to Jesus, bearing fruit. Now, that is why we read in our scripture reading, John 15, because Jesus teaches us that this fruit bearing in our lives, these good works that we seek to do, are only possible through our faith and union with him. Uh, remember, he told us in John chapter 15, verse 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. He goes on to say that this is how we glorify God, by bearing fruit in our lives. In verse 8, he says, by this my Father is glorified. How? That you bear much fruit. We actually prove to be his disciples by the life that we live, a life transformed, a life reflecting obedience to God. And here Paul, in this uh, verse here, is making a crucial point that the entire New Testament makes. You and I are not saved by works. We are saved by faith alone in Christ. But true, genuine, saving faith is not a faith that is alone. True, genuine, saving faith will always be accompanied with a transformed life of producing 
good works and bearing fruit. Uh, that is what James teaches us, isn't it? In James chapter 2, when he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so we seek we seek as true believers in Christ to walk in obedience to God. And notice, as we obey God, it actually increases our knowledge of God. Do you see that in verse 10? He talks again, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, Paul, I thought we were talking about knowledge in verse 9. Now you're bringing it back up again in verse 10. Do you see the cycle of how everything is connected in our spiritual walk with Jesus? that our knowledge of God helps us to live for God, and as we live a life pleasing to God, we know him more, and on and on the cycle goes. Our knowledge is for living, our living increases, our knowledge all interconnected. But we know, friends, don't we, that living in obedience to Jesus, living the life that is pleasing to him, is a hard task, fraught with difficulty. Our own sin trips us up and keeps us from obeying. The temptations of the world seek to take our eyes off of obedience to Jesus. Uh, others who do not understand the glory of Jesus and the good news of the gospel seek to ridicule us for wanting to obey Jesus, make us feel silly for obeying him. And of course, suffering and trials come and wear us out. You might say that we need endurance and patience. And that's where Paul encourages us and bolsters us up for this living for Jesus in verse 11, where he says that we do not live this Christian life by our own power. Take a look at the glory of verse 11. How do we find strength to live fully pleasing to Jesus? He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. How do we live the Christian life? By God's strength, by God's enabling power. The Christian life is a supernatural life, not lived by our own energy, but by his divine energy working in and through us. God is committed to us living out our faith in such a way that when the world looks at us, it is baffled and just has to admit that there is something else going on in our lives beyond ourselves, that we are being strengthened and enabled by something that is supernatural. It just has to be by God's power. There is a very dear sister in our church, her name is Nancy, who is an amazing example of God's endurance, and I wasn't going to cry, dang it, of endurance and patience through her trials, relying on God's strength. I don't know how many of you know of her story. There are great uh, health issues that she's been facing for a long time, and any time that you talk to her, she's just full of joy, full of absolute faith in the Lord to carry her through. It was a few months ago, she asked uh, the elders to lay hands on her and to pray, anoint her with oil, as James, we did. We haven't seen much progress from there. But she told me just the other week, she said, you know what, God hasn't healed me yet, but I think he used that opportunity to help me see what was coming down the line. She said in a recent text to me, she said, 
After my surgeries, I asked God to make me a vessel of his choosing, whether it be through continued suffering or through healing. Right now, he is having me be a vessel of suffering, but I take such comfort through knowing that he is collecting my tears in a jar to be poured out as an offering at his feet. When I asked if I could share her testimony, this was her response yesterday. Whatever will give God the glory. You have my permission to share anything as long as you focus on God. Friends, this is the transforming nature of a walk with the Lord, of knowing God. The good news of the Christian life is our endurance and our patience only has to last as long as our trials. And even through the trials, we are being bolstered up by a strength beyond ourselves, God's strength according to his glorious might so that we can endure anything in this life with joy. Do you notice that's how Paul ends verse 11? That you might have all endurance and patience with joy, the abundant life of knowing Jesus. What does this joy stem from? Not because everything is going great in our lives, but because we know we are totally secure in the arms of Jesus and the salvation that he has provided for us, that our hope of eternity cannot be wrecked by anything that happens in this life, but that we are secure in him. It stems out of our thankfulness for God's salvation. And that takes us to our last point that Paul says, all of this, our knowing God and our living for him are out of thankfulness to God for his salvation. Take a look at verse 12. Verse 12, he helps us to see all of this is out of thankfulness to God. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Notice this important distinction of what Paul is doing here. Paul says he's praying these things not in order that the Colossians might be saved by doing them, but that they might do them because they have been saved, that they might do them out of a gratitude for all that God has done. Notice the past tense that is uh, contained in verse 12 and 13 talking about our salvation. In verse 12, the past tense, the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has qualified us. Now, all of us have so many different qualifications in this room this morning. Some of us are qual have qualifications to be a CPA, which I'm very sorry for tax season for all of you. Um, some of us have qualifications to be a dental hygienist or qualifications to be a teacher. But who of us can say in and of ourselves that we have qualifications to just enter right into the kingdom of God and to inherit, uh, to have the inheritance of the saints? That is something that God must himself do by his grace and his mercy. Verse 13, all of this because he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. What do we have in his son? We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, 
Christ has completed the work apart from any works that we could possibly give to God. We need not earn God's love. We simply receive it with the empty hands of grace and rest on what Jesus has accomplished in his redemptive work on the cross. If you are a non-Christian here this morning, it is possible to be lifted up out of the brokenness of this world and be ushered into a kingdom of peace and righteousness it is possible for you to be fully pleasing to God and for all of your sins to be forgiven without needing to earn a single bit of it because Jesus offers it freely to anyone who would trust in him. Oh, if you have yet to know him, we would love to help you have an understanding of how you can be sure that God loves you through faith in Christ Jesus, the gospel message. Paul says all of this is the only proper response to the, to the wonderful salvation that God has poured out, that in response to his amazing saving grace, we seek to grow in knowing him intimately so that we might live in a way that pleases him to say a great big thank you for saving a sinner like me. I heard last Sunday from a pastor who went to visit one of his congregants in the hospital who is dying of brain cancer. And he, uh, he looked at the, the patient's chart, his congregant's chart, and the nurse had written as a critical comment, as a concerning symptom of his, wrote on the chart, inappropriately happy. This man knows God. He knows who his God is, knows him intimately. And even as he's dying of brain cancer, he is seeking to live in a way that is fully pleasing to Jesus because he knows he has been saved. And so with God's strength, he's living this brain cancer out, enduring the trial and great worship and thankfulness to God. And because he knows God, he's inappropriately happy. And the pastor said, I want to live my life through all the trials, all the suffering, in such a way that people would look at me and say, that guy is inappropriately happy. Wrapping all this up, friends, I pray that Paul's prayer here would become each one of our prayers, our prayers for ourselves and our prayer for each other. That to say a huge thank you to God's amazing grace in and through the gospel, we would seek to grow in our knowledge of him, increasing daily in understanding him so that we might live in a way that fully pleases him. Just to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Let's pray.